Well, how do you exalt Jesus during a presidential election? Some Christians think this involves promoting a particular political agenda, while others want the church to denounce a certain candidate or party. One consequence of these kinds of approaches is that the church loses its distinctive witness to the gospel of Christ. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources at our website, Radical.net. Well, in today's message from 1 Peter chapter 2, David Platt points us to some biblical foundations for exalting Jesus in an election and beyond. Instead of putting our trust in worldly leaders, the church submits to and exalts the one who rules heaven and earth. We are united, even amidst political differences, around Jesus. Here's David with a sermon titled, Exalting Jesus in an Election, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, where I want us to consider together how to exalt Jesus in an election. So in our journey verse by verse through 1 Peter, we now find ourselves on this Sunday, two weeks before our presidential election, in a passage in God's word on politics and how Christians relate to government. And it's no secret that we live in tense days in our country, as the church in our country. We're in a very serious time. And We desperately need to hear from God. Definitely not from me. Which is why I want to be crystal clear that my aim today is not to share my political opinions or preferences or convictions or calculations because that's not my job as a pastor with God's word in front of me. My job as a pastor is to show you what God clearly and directly says in his word about how to exalt, not a political platform or party or candidate, but how to exalt Jesus in an election. I sincerely want to help you exalt Jesus during these days according to God's word. And for those of you who are Listening to this who are not Christians, maybe you're here in the room or listening live online or maybe somebody passes this on to you and you're listening later. I've heard many of you share discouragement and disappointment with ways that you see and hear churches and pastors interact with politics to the point where you may even find yourself drawn to Jesus but pushed away by the church. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to please hang with me. My aim is to so exalt Jesus in the next few minutes that you might be captivated by him and drawn to trust him with your life. That's what I'm going for. Maybe the best way I can put it is to say that I'm really concerned about our country right now, but I'm more concerned about where you are going to be a billion years from now. So God, please help me to exalt Jesus alone. Please help me to be faithful to your word, to not pander in any way to the applause of people or politicians, 
but to proclaim your word so that Jesus might be exalted in your church in our day, that people might know and enjoy him for all of eternity. Amen. I should also add that some, maybe many of you, don't want to think about the election right now. You're weary and tired, and I get it. So am I. Yet God's word that we're about to see has so many applications beyond the election that I believe will nourish your soul. And I pray will draw you closer to Jesus amidst the myriad of other things that are going on in your life right now. So 1 Peter chapter 2, let me remind you as a church, we're memorizing 1 Peter 1 together, and we're now through verse 12. So keep up with that memorization, hiding God's word in your heart. We pick up today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, where we read these words from God. Let's read them out loud together. Wherever you are in this room or somewhere else, let's say these words from the screen. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17 together. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, as we read this passage, keep in mind, we've actually studied it before as a church together. So I'm going to put some notes up here as reminders of what we've seen before, and then we're going to build upon them today. So we've seen before that as followers of Jesus, we are submissive citizens of a government. We are, what is that verse, word, word say right there? We're subject, according to God, for his sake to every human institution. Then it goes on to talk about emperor, leader as supreme, to governors, we're subject to human institutions like the government, which means that unless government is directing us to disobey God, then we submit to government. This is part of why we are gathered like we are right now, with limited seating, with people in mass, because we believe our government, specifically in the state of Virginia here in this room, has given guidelines for the good of people. We're willing to follow those guidelines. That's why at this point we're still waiting to gather in Montgomery County, Maryland, because we're inclined by God's word to submit to government whenever we can. And we believe it's wise in order to care for each other and our community and our city to have appropriate protocols in place, including, at least at this point, everything from registering to doing temperature checks and spraying in between services such that even if many of us feel great physically, and even if many, maybe even most, of us are not at risk as far as we know. We're willing to make sacrifices and take precautions for the sake of people, including groups of people who are more at risk in our church or our community or our city. I would ask you to be praying in particular for William, friend of mine, brother in Christ, who has faithfully led worship in NBC Latino for a long time, who was in the hospital for multiple weeks, by God's grace, just came out, but has had serious complications due to COVID. I would ask you to pray for the family of Pastor Penalosa, Hispanic pastor at Ecclesia Church in Reston, who we've partnered together with in ministry, who just died of COVID. And as we pray, 
we will say that we are glad to lay aside some of our preferences for others' good, which is the purpose of government. We've seen how 1 Peter teaches that government is instituted by God for two purposes. You keep going there. Sent by him to punish those who do evil. In other words, to restrain evil. And then two, to praise those who do good, to promote good. So these are the basic functions of government according to God in 1 Peter chapter 2. In any country, a government is designed by God to restrain evil and promote good. And we are submissive citizens of a government that is doing that. And then, ultimately, on a higher level, we've seen before that we are free servants of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So free servants. Now, you might think that's an oxymoron, but that's actually the beauty of verse 16. Like true freedom is found in serving God, which makes sense when you think about it. After all, who is God? Your creator who loves you, has made you, who knows and desires what is best for your life. So the most full and free way to live is as his servant, which means if we are free servants of God, that means our ultimate identity as Christians is not as citizens of a country, but as servants of God. And that changes everything about how we view an election and live in it. As servants of God, our ultimate allegiance is to God, not the American government, and definitely not to a political party in the American government. As servants of God, our ultimate concern is not to save America with all of its earthly benefits. Our ultimate concern is to exalt Jesus regardless of what happens to America. As servants of God, our ultimate passion is not the survival of this nation. Our ultimate passion is the spread of the gospel in all nations. And I emphasize ultimate in all these statements so there's no misunderstanding. Without question, we are extremely thankful for the United States and all the freedoms and benefits that are afforded here. Extremely thankful for all, including many in our church family, who protect and preserve those freedoms and who work in government. And we want to steward these freedoms and benefits for God's glory and others' good while we're here. Yet God's word clearly tells us that the United States is not our ultimate country. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, we are sojourners and exiles here. So non-Christian friend, let me make this clear. When we invite you to follow Jesus with us, we're inviting you to live for another country, a heavenly one. Not a country that will one day fall, but a country that will never, ever, ever fall for all of eternity. Now, at the same time, as we're on our way to that country, we are sojourners, exiles, submissive citizens of this country. So then, how do we exalt Jesus in an election in this country? Four ways, according to God's word, if you're taking notes, which is why... I'm gonna show you all throughout today on the screen how these ways come from, not me, but from 1 Peter chapter two. So you know, this is not me talking, this is God speaking. How do we exalt Jesus in an election? One, we exalt Jesus in an election by taking evil seriously and avoiding it. 
by taking evil seriously and avoiding it. So we've already seen 1 Peter chapter 2 is clear that government restrains evil by punishing those who do evil and protecting people against evil. And see it here in verse 16, followers of Jesus avoid evil in our lives. 1 Peter 2.16 talks about the temptation to cover up evil, to hide it or to minimize it, which is why I use this language of taking evil seriously and avoiding it because I see temptations in an election to treat evil lightly, to minimize, overlook, cover over it, or even engage in it in different ways. So this is where I do want to sound an alarm today, to say that our country is in serious danger of evil on so many different sides. And God's word sounds this alarm for us. Our 31-day prayer guide for our country yesterday involved praying through Romans chapter one, a passage that just shouts the seriousness of sin. Now, before I give specific examples of taking evil seriously, let me say one other thing. Even as I, we together right now, address the seriousness of sin and evil, that which is not good according to God, I know that I am talking to people, including myself, who sin, who have sinned, who will sin, and who have been sinned against and will be sinned against in a fallen world filled with evil. So as we consider the seriousness of sin and evil, this is personal to all of us. And specifically for everyone who is trusted in Jesus, I want to remind you that if you have sinned, or struggle with sin in any of these ways, I want to remind you that you are forgiven by God. That God himself has wiped your slate clean and made you a new creation. And when God sees you, he sees the spotless righteousness of Jesus. And all the more so for those of you who have been sinned against, violated in evil ways, I want to remind you today in a fresh way of the God who alone is able to heal you deeply and restore you beautifully in this evil, fallen world. And I emphasize this because I fear that when we start talking about issues in an election like abortion or sexuality, our rhetoric can be so charged with red meat for the crowd when real people's hearts are really hurting real people who have had abortions and now hate abortions but still feel scars from the past, real people who struggle with their sexual preference, please do not hear the church saying, you're an outcast alone in that struggle. You are not. We are with you. We all struggle in different ways. So even as we talk about that, which is sin or evil in this fallen world, we do so with tenderness toward people. In light of the past, in light of scars and struggles in the present, and in light of the fact that we must all take heed lest we fall in the future. So even as we consider what God's word says about evil, I would ask you, particularly since we have more people in the room today than we've had in the past, and I love how you respond to the word in this room with shouting and clapping at different points, Today, let's just listen more soberly as we consider sin. How do we 
exalt Jesus by taking seriously evil amidst issues in an election. We exalt Jesus by taking seriously the life of a child in a mother's womb. We abhor abortion. We hate what is happening to children across our country. And it is not an option for followers of Jesus to say that abortion is okay or not a big deal. Abortion is an extremely serious deal of genocidal proportions. We love children in the womb and we love the moms who carry them, which means we take seriously the evil practice of abortion in an election in our country, including all the evils in the world that lead to a woman considering or having an abortion. In addition, we take seriously the evil distortion of God's good and beautiful design for males and females made in his image across our country. We hate the havoc that our culture is wreaking, causing so many people to think that God messed up when he made us, that you were born in the wrong body when it's not true. God loves you as the man or woman, the boy or girl he has made you to be. And by the way, we also hate the way Christians have sometimes responded in very unloving ways to you. Similarly, we take seriously the sinful redefinition of marriage that God has designed from the beginning of creation for a man and woman to join in covenantal union together. According to God, any other definition of marriage is not good. As we consider other issues, we take seriously the dignity and equality of every single person made in the image of God, which means we detest any and every expression or evidence of racism. We take seriously the oppression of the poor and the weak. We take seriously the persecution of people for their faith, including any attempts by government to restrict the liberty of Christians churches, ministries, or other people of faith from living according to their faith. We take seriously these and so many other political issues. One of the challenges and even a list of issues is that any list is inevitably selective when there are so many issues we could mention. So get to know all the political issues at stake in this election and take seriously evil in any of those issues according to God's word. And similarly, we must take evil seriously in the lives of political leaders according to God's word. We take seriously unrepentant sexual immorality in political leaders. We take seriously boastful pride and arrogance in political leaders. We take seriously vulgarity and dishonesty in political leaders. We take seriously name-calling and strife-stirring in political leaders. When we hear a leader objectify and sexualize women, ranking them and degrading them with X-rated terminology with no repentance, we do not say, it's no big deal, get over it. The way men talk about women is a huge deal, and we don't 
get over it. We do not say that a leader's character or words are minor or unimportant or irrelevant. We take seriously who a leader is, particularly when that leader has influence to affect an entire country. As followers of Jesus, we do not and cannot look past any of these things that are clear in God's word. It is tragic amidst the church in our day, even in attempts by Christians on different sides to promote a particular party or candidate to see at any point a minimization, even an overlooking of evil. When brothers and sisters, we do not exalt Jesus by minimizing or overlooking the reason for which he died. The cross of Jesus is a declaration to the world that sin is infinitely serious. It costs Jesus his life. Sin kills. Evil destroys. All the sins and evil we just listed lead to death, eternal death, which is why we must never, ever, ever treat sin lightly in others or in us. Even as we vote, make a decision between sinful candidates, we can still exalt Jesus in an election by taking sin seriously, never minimizing it, and by avoiding it in our lives, meaning we avoid in our lives any and all semblances of strife-stirring or name-calling. We avoid pride in our own hearts. We flee sexual immorality in our own lives. It is hypocrisy to feign concern over sexual trends in our culture when Christians in the church are engaged in all sorts of sexual thinking, desiring, and acting outside of marriage, including the majority of men, even in the church, engrossed in pornography. How do we exalt Jesus in an election? By taking evil seriously around us and in us, and avoiding it. That's one way, according to 1 Peter 2. And then the converse. So second, we exalt Jesus in election by promoting good continually and doing it. 1 Peter 2, verse 15. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The will of God is to do good in the country where you live. You promote good in your country and do good in your lives as the church. So let's take all the things we just mentioned and turn them positively. Let's promote the preciousness of life in the womb and volunteer at pregnancy care centers foster children in need and either to restore them to their parents or adopt them into our homes. Let's spend time at the NICU and the hospital with kids who don't have parents to care for them. Let's spend time with single parents or in low-income communities where kids have far less opportunities. Indeed, let's care for children in the womb, but let's not ignore them once they're out of the womb. Let's be for all of life, not just the first nine months of it. And let's be for women with unwanted pregnancies right there beside them. 
if the zeal from so many in the church on abortion legislation and judicial appointments would also be matched by a zeal to love children and women in our communities and our city, we could change the climate of abortion in our country. And yes, let's promote God's good design for sexuality. And when a brother or sister in Christ struggles with same-sex attraction, let's not isolate or ignore one another. Let's love and share life with one another. Let's promote God's good design for marriage and let's live it out as husbands laying down our lives to serve our wives and as wives joyfully following husbands' sacrificial leadership. Let's show the picture and the power of the gospel in marriage. What God has designed is so much better than anything this world could ever create. Let's resist any and every expression of racism, and let's stand boldly on behalf of anyone affected by it. As the people of God, let's care for the poor, and provide for the sojourner. Let's live with sexual purity, integrity, humility, and honesty. Let's relate to other people in person and on social media with kindness, gentleness, tenderness, patience, sympathy, and selflessness with speech that is gracious, fair, encouraging, edifying, never slanderous, always seasoned with salt that's building up everyone who hears us. Let's exalt Jesus, not just by talking about good, but by doing it, which is where I want to praise God again for his grace in you as a McLean Bible Church family. Instead of debating and disagreeing about when and how to gather for an hour a week during a pandemic, as a church family, you have spent multiple thousands of hours distributing over five million pounds of food across the city in a pandemic, all with the gospel in hand, and many people have come to faith in Jesus as a result. This is how we exalt Jesus in an election, by promoting good continually and doing it. Third, we exalt Jesus in election by honoring everyone, and especially leaders. First Peter chapter two, verse 17, couldn't be any clearer. Honor everyone, everyone. So let's just think about who that includes. Well, we've already talked about some of the people that includes. Honor the child in the womb and the mom who carries him or her. Honor the orphan and the widow, the poor and the oppressed. Honor the immigrant and the refugee, everyone. Honor them all, God says. This honor includes law enforcement officers who daily risk their lives to restrain evil and protect people from it and promote good, including many in our church family who do so. We honor them. Now, who else does honoring everyone include? It includes honoring your enemy. They're included in everyone. It includes honoring your critic. It includes honoring your political opponent. 
They're all in the everyone. And then the Bible says, as if to make sure there's no exception, honor the emperor. Honor the president. No matter who it is, honor the president. And honor this candidate and that candidate for president. Honor them both. They're both included in everyone. With the way you speak about them, think about them as image bearers of God, with the way you pray for them and respect them. That's what this word honor means, to regard highly and respect. And you say, well, how can I honor, respect this person when they believe this or do that or promote this or support that? Surely that's not what this verse means. But brothers and sisters, this verse actually means more than that. Peter wrote this command from God in a day when Nero was likely the emperor. A little background on Nero. He was so paranoid about plots to assassinate him that he had his stepbrother killed, then he had his mother killed, and then he had his wife killed. And then when fires raged across Rome, Nero falsely accused Christians of starting them, leading to massive persecution of followers of Jesus as they were crucified, sewn into wild beast skins, fed to dogs, burned on poles to light up the city at night. This is the same emperor who would one day hang Peter upside down on a cross for following Jesus. And the Bible says, honor him. In other words, even if you disagree with a leader's character, choices, actions, policies, you honor him or her. You treat them with respect. And if this command applied to God's people in Rome then, and it applies to brothers and sisters in North Korea, Sudan, and Iran today, then it most certainly applies to you and me in the United States. In obedience to God, we exalt Jesus in an election by honoring everyone. Our honor should be evident, especially among leaders. And finally, fourth, we exalt Jesus in an election by loving the church and bending over backward to maintain unity together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, love the brotherhood. Isn't that interesting? In the middle of this passage that specifically deals with how Christians relate to government, God says, love the brotherhood, a specific reference to the church, to brothers and sisters in Christ. Love them. And I add this language of bending over backward to maintain unity together in light of the clear command in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, to be eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Like, we are eager to do that. So why is this important for Christians to do in relation to government and politics in the world? Well, remember what Jesus taught. John chapter 13, verse 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if, so how will they know if you have love for one another? The world, including the country around you, will know that you are followers of Jesus if you love one another. That's what will make your identity in Jesus as the church 
evident to the country around you, your love for each other. Then four chapters later, Jesus prays for us. And listen to what he prays for specifically. John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the word of his disciples, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, here's the purpose, the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you hear that? Like our unity in the church doesn't just say something about us to the world. Our unity says something about God to the world. And our unity says something about the gospel to the world. Our unity makes clear to the world that God the Father sent Jesus to save all those who believe in him from their sin. In other words, people's eternity is dependent on seeing unity in the church. If they're going to see a clear picture of Jesus and his love, then they must see unity in the church. This is very serious, not just for our good, but for other people's salvation. So in an election where there's so much political division and tension, we exalt Jesus by not letting that division and tension creep into the church. Do not divide the church over political positions, convictions, or calculations that are not clear and direct in God's word. This is why we have said at McLean Bible Church that we will not divide among our members over the vote. Remember the rope illustration a few weeks ago? We will not divide from one another over the vote. And our pastors, including me, will not tell people to vote for this candidate or that party. Why not? Am I, are we afraid to do so? Well, I guess in a sense I am. Maybe not in the way you would think. Fear God, 1 Peter 2, 17 says. So I would say to you, yes. I fear calling you to do something that I cannot show you clearly and directly in God's word he has called you to do. I fear calling you to do anything that God has not specifically called you to do. I am afraid of putting words in God's mouth that he has not spoken. Now that doesn't mean I'm silent. No, I have full confidence calling you to oppose abortion and to defend the lives of children in the womb because God makes his work in the womb clear in Psalm 139. You cannot follow Jesus as a member of this church and advocate for abortion. I have full confidence to call you to promote a biblical understanding of sexuality and marriage because God makes his definitions of male and female and marriage clear in Genesis 1 and 2 throughout the rest of the Bible. You cannot follow Jesus as a member of this church and disregard God's word in these ways. I have full confidence calling you to care for the oppressed, the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner, 
Because God says these things multitudes of times to his people in his word. You cannot follow Jesus as a member of this church and be calloused toward the oppressed, poor, orphan, the widow, or the sojourner. And I have full confidence calling you to never affirm or overlook sexual immorality, boastful pride, vulgarity, dishonesty, name-calling, and strife-stirring in your life or others' lives because God has said all over his word that all of those things are deadly. So then how do you vote? For this candidate? For that candidate? For third candidate? For no candidate? And I I don't have a verse that answers that question for you. Different, genuine followers of Jesus will therefore come to different conclusions on the answer to that question. And assuming that you are applying God's word as prayerfully and as wisely and as faithfully as you know how to your political decision, then we will not break fellowship in Christ over that decision. Now, as soon as I say that, I realize that some people think we should break fellowship in Christ over the vote. Some people think I cannot be in the same church with someone who votes for Biden. Other people think I cannot be in the same church with someone who votes for Trump. And if you think either of these things, and I say this as thoughtfully and compassionately as I know how, McLean Bible Church may not be the right church for you because we are not going to divide over the vote here. And if you think we should, if you think I or other pastors in this church should promote a political candidate or party, and you think this is worth dividing the church over, that I'm sincerely sad about that because I treasure our fellowship together in Jesus. But at the same time, I'm truly happy for you to be in another church. As long as that church is preaching the gospel, I, we don't begrudge you in any way. I am sincerely hopeful that we will both be able to live for the spread of the gospel to people who don't know Jesus across our city and beyond our city, albeit from separate congregations in this world, that's fine and good. Certainly not every Christian in Metro Washington, D.C. needs to be at McLean Bible Church. And we're not in competition with other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in the city. We want to see all kinds of churches thriving for the spread of the gospel to people who need Jesus. And I'm most happy that one day we're gonna be in heaven together forever. But mark it down for McLean Bible Church. We do not align with a political candidate or party here. And our fellowship together in Christ does not hinge on your vote. Now let me be clear. I'm not saying that in this church you can't or shouldn't have very strong opinions, even convictions about how Christians vote. Based on Romans chapter 14, verse five, I would actually encourage you to have strong convictions and even to share them with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet much like we see in Romans 14 and 15, there's a way for followers of Jesus to hold 
tightly to him and to his word while disagreeing even strongly about convictions we have in this world. Individually, we will all steward our vote and our voice according to our convictions as men and women who are accountable to God and his word. And some of us will even campaign or work for political parties or candidates according to our convictions, which is right and good. But let us be clear about the banner that brings us together as the church. McLean Bible Church is not for the Republican Party. And McLean Bible Church is not for the Democratic Party. McLean Bible Church is for the Bible, which means McLean Bible Church is not for Trump, and McLean Bible Church is not for Biden. McLean Bible Church is for Jesus alone, and we want that to be clear for every member of this church, and we want that to be clear to a watching world. We want to shout to the world. As the church, we are not for this candidate, and as the church, we are not for that candidate. As the church, we are for a far greater, higher, better king. Non-Christian friend, like we're for the king who died on the cross for sin. We all deserve judgment before God for our sin. And Jesus, God in the flesh, has come and lived a sinless, perfect life. Though he had no sin for which to die, he chose to die on a cross to save you and me from our sin. He showed his kingship not by being elected, but by being executed. And three days after he died, he rose from the grave. Ladies and gentlemen, 39 U.S. presidents have lived, led, and died, and their bodies are all still in the grave, but not our king. He's alive. He walked out of the tomb. He ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God the Father. And one day, one day, One day soon, the Father is going to say, it's time. Not time for your election, it's time for your exaltation. And Jesus is going to rise from his seat, a trumpet is going to boom from the sky, and Jesus is going to come back. And all the nations of the earth, including the United States, are all going to crumble, and every eye will see that Jesus is the king. So church, McLean Bible Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are ultimately not for a presidential candidate. We are ultimately for the providential president over all presidents, king over all kings, and lord over all lords. We are for Jesus Christ, period. We are a holy nation living as citizens in this temporary nation, which means we live and die proclaiming his glory and his beauty and his supremacy in all nations until he returns. And that's why, non-Christian friend, we urge you to trust in Jesus as king today. 
before it's too late. You need what no presidential party or candidate could ever give. Do not walk away from this church gathering today thinking I need that candidate or that party. Walk away realizing you need Jesus. And I invite you, we implore you today to become an exile with us in this world, to become a citizen of a kingdom that will never, ever, ever end. So will you bow your heads with me? Just bow your heads and close your eyes where you're listening in this room, wherever you might be. And I just want to ask you, right where you're sitting, have you bowed the knee to Jesus as king? in your life? Is Jesus king of your life? Have you put your faith in him to be forgiven of all your sin? And if you said, you are Lord of my life, that is the question that will determine where you will be a billion years from now. So I invite you, if you cannot answer the yes to that question, just a resounding yes in your heart to pray right now and to say, Jesus, I choose today to follow you as king. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Just pray, God, I've sinned against you and I need what Jesus did on the cross for my sin to cover over me. I need to be forgiven by you. Today, I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior and as Lord of my life. As you pray that, just know everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved that you become a citizen of a kingdom when you put your faith in this king. Oh, Jesus, we praise you. There is no one like you. You alone are worthy of our trust. You alone are worthy of our allegiance. You alone are worthy of our hope. We love you and we pray you'd help us during these days especially, as the church in this country, help us to exalt you, Jesus. In all these ways we've just seen in your word, help us to exalt you, Jesus, by taking evil seriously and avoiding it, running from it in our lives. Help us to exalt you, Jesus, by promoting good, continually doing it, doing good, brings glory to your name in our country. Help us to exalt you, Jesus, with this countercultural command to honor everyone, especially leaders. Help us to honor President Trump. Help us to honor Vice President Biden. Help us to honor every president who comes into office in our country and all the other leaders around them. And we pray you'd help us to exalt you, Jesus, by loving one another well. 
We pray what you prayed for us in John 17, that we would be one as you are one, O oh God. Father and the Son and the Spirit, give us this kind of oneness, we pray. Help us as your church to make your supremacy known in a country where we so desperately need you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our King, and all who have trusted in him said together, amen. Well, thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. If you would like to download this sermon or watch the video or even grab the free discussion questions that accompany every sermon, you can do all that and more at our website, Radical.net. And while you're there, grab a copy of David's brand new book, Before You Vote, Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask. It's available right now on our website. Well, that's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us there at Radical.net.